Blog Talk Radio. Yeah, yeah, yeah. DJ Clue, DJ Clue, Death Storm, Storm, The Rock, The Rock, The Rock. This shit right here, shit right here. The Rock Army, Dame Dash presents, presents the Dream Team niggas, Team niggas. Word, word. What's up, y'all? Yo, this is Dame Dash, the CEO. <laughs> here to welcome y'all to the Dream Team. What y'all niggas thought I was gonna rap? Never. I'm just a little mad at niggas coming at my neck like my teammate the best in the world. You know what I'm saying? Like we ain't got beans. Here, what it do? You know, the most electrified man in 
All of the internet radio is here. And uh, before we kick things off, I just I just got to give a special shout out uh, to my boy the Doc uh, and his crew down at Triple Threat Talk down in Louisville. Uh, they had me on their uh, they had me on their program tonight to talk about the Redskins as they were doing a discussion of the NFC East. So uh, they had me on on uh, four, uh, fourteen fifty a.m. the Sports Buzz. Uh, you can uh, check out four. 1450thesportsbuzz.com. I'm pretty sure they might have an archive of this of the episode. You can check it out. It was a, a fun experience. You know, hopefully soon we'll be we'll have our own little call letters and a AM or FM dial. We'll be talking sports to to the masses as well. I just want to get that oh, out. Oh yeah, for sure. All right, all right, champ. You know what time it is. Go ahead and kick off that that quick three for this week. Yes, indeed. Uh, the Quick Three, once again, presented by the people that I drive for Lyft. Remember, if y'all want to get a free ride, free credit to ride on Lyft for your first ride, just make sure when you download the app, the Lyft app, and you put in your Lyft credit code, just put in DCHAMP2882. That's DCHAMP, T-H-E, CHAMP2882, and you will get credit. On your first ride with Lyft, so make sure you use that. Lyft is starting to, to creep on a come up, so y'all might want to get in when you fit in. But first story in the quick three is a congratulatory story. Uh, congratulations goes out to Jimmy Walker, who this past weekend claimed his very first major championship victory by winning the very waterlogged PGA 98 PGA Championship at Baltusrol Golf Golf Club in Springfield, New Jersey. The 37-year-old golfer uh, played a full 36 holes of golf Sunday after not being able to hit a single shot on Saturday's third round because of heavy rain and lightning. uh, He ended up scoring a birdie on the next-to-last hole and ended up winning the tournament at a 14-under-266 after shooting a 36-hole total, 68-67, and 67 for a total of 135 on a marathon Sunday for him, finishing a stroke ahead of Australia's Jason Day, who was the defending champion for this tournament. The number 48-ranked player in the world said of the victory, quote, it's surreal. I just had not quite played as well as I would have liked to this year. Just to be in it and be there and have a chance and then to finish it off is just so gratifying. It's amazing. The the man from Oklahoma who actually played golf at Baylor uh, marks the end of an unusual season in which all the major champions this season have been first-time winners. Danny Willett of Great Britain won the Masters. Dustin Johnson won his first major at the U.S. Open. Henrik Stenson of Sweden won his first major at the Open Championship. So, again, on a marathon Sunday where he played a full 36 holes, he still managed to shoot 135 strokes to take a one-shot victory at the PGA Championship. So congratulations to the 37-year-old Jimmy Walker on his very first major championship victory. Uh, Speaking of golf, our second story has to do with Nike golf. 
uh, Chills, you actually posted this story on our pay, on our Facebook page. T S O T S presents the Skybox. Uh, Nike has announced uh, today that it is getting out of the club making equipment business. Uh, the announcement came today in a stunning news release. Uh, near the end of the business hours on uh, here on the East Coast, Nike dropped a bombshell on the golf world saying in their news release, quote, Nike Inc. announced today that it will accelerate innovation in its golf footwear and apparel business and will partner with more of the world's best golfers. With this new focus, Nike Golf will transition out of equipment, including clubs, balls, and bags. Uh, in the news release, Nike brand president Trevor Edwards said, quote, we're committed to being the undisputed leader in golf footwear and apparel. We will achieve this by investing in performance innovation for athletes and delivering sustainable, profitable growth for Nike Golf. So, so far, that's the only information that is out there in regards to uh, Nike phasing out uh, its equipment uh, portion of its golf operations. Um, and there's no there's no word or any indication of how that will affect uh, the pros that are sponsored by Nike Golf, those including uh, former world number one Tiger Woods, Roy McIlroy, uh, Brooks uh, Kelpeck, and others. So uh, a big shock in the golf world that Nike that Nike Golf will no longer make club uh, clubs, balls, and bags. Uh, but will continue to make apparel and and footwear for um, uh, for their their brand. Uh, so that's a big big story. And finally, in our quick three, uh, we reported this story last week that uh, NFL uh, ESPN NFL analyst Tom Jackson was contemplating his future with ESPN after nearly three decades on the, the network and uh, main NFL analyst. Well, today, the announcement has been made that the Hall of Fame broadcaster will retire. Uh, the three-time pro bowler and the man who was, met, who was a member of the Broncos' ring of fame after spending his entire 14-year playing career with the Broncos as a linebacker will retire working his final ESPN assignment this weekend at the Pro Football Hall of Fame Enshrinement Weekend in Canton, Ohio. Uh, Jackson said of his decision, I've, I have been blessed in my adult life to work with two companies, the Denver Broncos and ESPN, to do two things that I love, play football and talk about football. Having joined in the early stages of ESPN and remained with the same company for 29 years is especially gratifying this move just comes at a time when the priority of my life is spending time with my family. Uh, Jackson, most notably, has been a mainstay alongside longtime ESPN uh, broadcaster Chris Berman, uh, working uh, the NF- Sunday NFL Countdown pregame as well as Sunday NFL Primetime, which is the recap show uh, that they did after the uh, the Sunday games were completed. Uh, Chris Berman said of Tom Jackson, Tom long ago became almost a brother to me. I know every day he appeared on ESPN was a treasure for football fans. His knowledge, his passion, his insight, and his overall Jean de Verre makes him special. 
Um, so ESPN is getting ready to lose another broadcaster. Tom Jackson will will be a part of ESPN one last time this week for the Hall of Fame game, and then he will hang it up after 29 years with ESPN. And that is your quick three for the season. Well, uh, Chad, we actually have a caller on, though. I'm actually going to bring this caller on. Uh, 5137, welcome to the Skybox. Look, 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 look. I'm not sober right now, okay? I'm really, I really, <laughs> really underestimated this Mike's Harder Lemonade. Like, I drank it, right? And then I drank another one. And then after I drank the second one, the first one hit me. So I'm not there tonight. What's going on, fellas, man? What's happening? Big oh, Hurt in man. the house. What's up, Hurt? Big Hurt. Ladies and gentlemen, Look, this is I, the I host of Hurt's House. Big Hurt. Hurt's House? Look, look, I, I'm, I'm going to make it quick. I don't have very long. I just want to say real quick. I don't know if y'all are going to get into this whole Josh Norman um, getting burnt thing. I just yeah. want to come here real quick and remind whoever's listening about what we were hearing out of training camp last year, okay? I, I talked about this last time, last week, and I went back and listened to last year's show. Last year at training camp, you had RG3 looking great, and there was a battle going on, a battle for second and third string between Colt McCoy and Kirk Cousins, Okay. Last year at this time, our starting right tackle, Brandon Sheriff, remember him? The starting right yep. tackle was getting destroyed, destroyed in practice by our starting outside linebacker and guy of the future, Trent Murphy. All those things were happening last year in camp, and, you know, none of them panned out. So I would say to people who are just on Facebook – on Instagram, on Snapchat, talking about, I don't know if you talk about on Snapchat, now I'm drunk, don't worry about that, don't worry about that, talking about Josh Norman getting beat on a go route by Deshaun Jackson, a guy who beats everybody in the NFL on go routes, or upset because he got beat by Pierre Garçon, even though he came down with the ball. Folks, it's training camp. They're not even in full pads. There's no over-the-top help. There's no scheme. There's no coverage. That's what training camp is. They're training. They're training. Please, folks, don't read too much in the training camp. If you want to read into something, read into Tony Rummel's fat ass coming to camp, 48,000 pounds overweight. Read into that. That's not a big deal either. Maybe he'll have some more padding around that fat gut of his, and his ribs won't get broken so easily by Redskins linebackers. I'm sorry, guys. I've been drinking a lot. How you guys doing? How you doing? Oh, we're good. I'm glad you actually brought that up, because I always want to say that for the How end of the doing? show, but, but since we're here now, first of all, it's training camp. One-on-ones, going training camp favors the offense, always. I mean, think about it. There's no pass rush. There's no over-the-top help. There's no pads. Nope. It's pretty much Mm-mm. the DB really sh- trying to shadow the, the receiver if you really look at it. I mean, that matchup will always favor the receiver. 
those who know football or who have played football should know this. I mean, I can see if this was a, a actual 11-on-11 scrimmage with the pads on, where there's the pass rush, where there's help, and he still gets burnt. But every defensive back gets burnt in training camp, especially during one-on-ones. The only reason why people are seeing it, because seeing the seeing Josh Norman get burnt, is because apparently the media market is big as fucking DC. But I'm not worried about him getting burnt on a one on one. I mean, because I've looked at some of the film. Those plays where he got burnt, he either broke up the pa- he either broke up the pass, picked it off, or the receiver just ain't get to the uh get to the ball. I mean, even though some of those throws were late, but still I mean you can't really point out Josh Norman is getting burnt on one on one. I mean, it's training camp. I mean, no D B is sticking yeah. to a receiver on a one on one matchup. Especially when it's mostly favors the offense. I said it earlier. Yeah, there's not there's not one in the NFL keeping up with with Deshaun Jackson. There's not one. Right, and I said it earlier on on, the, on when I made my appearance on the Sports Buzz earlier today that you know Josh Norman getting quote unquote burnt in training camp. I mean, it's been said it's one on one. He doesn't have no safety help over the top. There's no underneath linebackers. There's no pass. It's one on one. So you can't read too much into it. Um, now, if this is happening during the regular season where you got the pads on and the adrenaline's running, then you got a problem. But there's really people who are going to say, right. well, there's a reason why Carolina released him from the franchise tag and let him go on his merry little way, blase, blase. Only exactly. time will tell if that, if, there's a, if that was the reason. But right now, you know, it's, it's early on in training camp, and it's, you know, we, we can't read too much into it. Wait till he puts on pads and it's 11 on 11 and then see what happens. If he's getting burnt on 11 on 11 drills with pads on, then maybe there's a slight bit of worry, maybe not. But I would worry more if it happens on the first game of the season against a bum wide receiver and he's getting burnt. Then I'd be like, okay, there's, there's a problem here. But let's not read too much into it here. Yes, folks, let's not, please. Look, fellas, I'm going to get out of here. Um, y'all kill it, man. I'm going to catch you later. You want to throw it to the home? You doing anything? Nah. Good stuff by a big hurt there. Yeah, the call just dropped. Well, yeah, um... Like I said, I mean, I'm not worried about the whole one-on-one. I mean, it's training camp. <laughs> one-on-one always favors the offense. I mean, I've known that since playing basketball. So I'm not feeding too much into the whole him getting burnt. <laughs> you should be ready for the season. Yeah, but uh, we could definitely talk more NFL uh, later on in the show. But uh, I did want to get into uh, what happened this past weekend with USC 201, though. I did get to watch that card, and 
uh, I did want to speak on that uh, uh, right, right, right quick and get into that. Um, the event that took place in Atlanta, Georgia, at the Phillips Arena, uh, saw some some very some very very good action. Um, and the main event was Bobby Lawler defending his uh, UFC welterweight championship uh, against Tyron Woodley. And uh, Lawler came into this fight, he came into this event having won his last five fights. Uh, Woodley was considered the underdog, but at, sa- at the same time was a fan favorite to, uh, to defeat Lawler and become the uh, welterweight champion, which he did. He managed to defeat Lawler via a first-round knockout, two minutes and 12 seconds into the first round of the fight. Uh, and I saw it. He basically ru- he ran up on Lawler and caught him with one right hand. It looked like Street Fighter. <laughs> Lawler dropped quick, dropped like a sack of potatoes. And from there, and from there, Tyron Woodley with the ground and pound. And the ref stopped the match, and Robbie Lawler loses his first fight in his, uh, in his last six after winning five straight. And um, now Tyron Woodley is now your new UFC welterweight champion. Uh, and the other co-main event uh, of the event was uh, Carolina Kowalczyk defeating Rose Namajunas. Uh, via a split decision in a matchup that could have determined who will be the next in line to challenge for the UFC Strawweight Championship. Uh, that was a pretty uh, pretty good matchup right there. Uh, other results on the main card, Jake Ellenberger defeated Matt Brown via first-round TKO. Uh, Eric Perez defeated Francisco Rivera uh, via unanimous decision. And Ryan Benoit. We call him Benoit, but they call him Benoit. Defeated uh, Freddie Serrano, Serrano via a split decision. Uh, but it was a, I would say UFC 201 definitely was a very good event to watch, and uh, it was it it definitely sets up for the next UFC event, which is going to be headlined by the rematch between Conor McGregor and Nate Diaz, which is going to be uh, an epic encounter between these two uh, fighters. Chills, you got any thoughts? Not at all. Because right. honestly, I didn't, ca- I didn't catch uh, UFC 201, so because uh, honestly, I really forgot about it. <laughs> Had a busy weekend trying to get a few things done, and yeah. Well, we can definitely move on and talk about what the happenings of the WWE now in its second week of the quote-unquote new era of of the uh, of, of WWE. Uh, what were your thoughts on the programming this past week at uh, Raw and SmackDown? Let's see. With Raw, the only thing that really caught my attention with Raw was that RKO out of nowhere. During the Brock Lesnar Paul Heyman promo, that thing was a thing. It, it was a thing of beauty. I mean, the timing on it was perfect. 
SmackDown side, I was entertained with SmackDown. I mean, <clears throat> I was entertained with SmackDown. I mean, Bray versus Dolph Ziggler, that was a great main event. The uh, three-way for the IC title was, wasn't a bad match. I miss my boy Shelton, though. Shelton should be coming back very soon. I don't. They haven't said when he's coming back. I can't wait for him to come back myself. Uh, yeah. My question. Yeah, I thought he was coming how, back you know, this week. Oh, I forgot the debut of American Alpha. I'm gonna tell you something. I'm a. I've been a big fan of American Alpha since their their days at NXT. They're one of the purest tag teams in wrestling right now. Um, both of them are uh, former amateur wrestlers who were stellar and am- had stellar amateur careers. They were NXT Tag Team Champions. They ju- they gelled so well. The story behind them getting together was so entertaining uh, and everything like that. And it just blossomed from there to just an amazing tag team. And now to see them on the main roster, I really think that uh, if SmackDown does get their own tag team titles. They've, I've, I gotta think that they will gotta be the first, like one of the teams to be in the conversation to become the first SmackDown live tag team champion. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's no it's ands or buts about it. I'm sorry. The way these guys are, I mean, it's just amazing. I mean, it's like I want to say they remind me of Team Angle slash the World's Greatest Tag Team, but they also remind me of Steiners. I mean. But they have so much charisma, too. I mean, they have the amateur backgrounds. But, I mean, look at them now. Oh, my God. These guys are – I mean, these guys get you hyped. Right now, the Vaughn Villains was a cool tag team. But, uh, I don't think they are – they they're on a the level of America Alpha. I'm sorry. Uh, I just look at America Alpha like – this is a tag team that could really, if they ever came across the New Day, they could actually win and outshine them. And that's saying a lot because, I mean, I'm a fan of both. Right. But American Alpha, though, I mean, I'm, I'm ready to see what they can want to do with the tag team belts. I want to see them run with the titles. <laughs> like, these guys got me hyped. <laughs> there was something going around the Internet that said that what if, Shelton Benjamin came in and sort of and sort of like did a rehash of Team Angle, him being the leader and having American Alpha. You know what I'm saying? Like like how Kurt Angle had him and, and Charlie Haas, almost like a rehash. If they gonna do this, if they gonna do this, add Jack Swagger. They could be a stable. They can be version two of the Varsity Club. Honestly. They, I mean, they would, they would need, they would need, they would need at least a fourth member, just to get them over. I mean, because you will have, you will have a great tag team, and two great wrestlers with Shelton and Jack Swagger. I mean, maybe not Jack Swagger, maybe hell, maybe Dolph Ziggler. He also has that amateur wrestling background. <laughs> I mean, somebody with some charisma that can add to their stable. But I mean. What the WWE can do right now is scary. If they really gel everything together. 
I agree. Um, um, speaking of Dolph Ziggler, I mean, Dolph really made strides to to show that he definitely has earned his spot um, challenging for the uh, WWE World Title uh, against uh, Dean Ambrose. They had a very a very heated promo uh, at the start of the show, and then Dolph Ziggler had a hell of a matchup with uh, Bray Wyatt. Uh, in the main event in which he won to keep his spot at SummerSlam before being attacked by uh, Eric Rowan and Bray. Uh, Dean tried to make the save, and he was subsequently taken out. Uh, I, I got a feeling that they're going to set up a tag match between those uh, four individuals probably next week, which I think yeah, I, I would like definitely them. enjoy watching uh, a lot. But um, I want to know, what are, your, what are your thoughts going Go back to Raw. What are your thoughts on what they're doing with both Braun Strowman and, and Nia Jax, having them face basically local athletes, enhancement talent? Uh, and with the Braun Strowman angle, having these guys be interviewed before the match with giving their reasons why they're going to face Braun Strowman. Honestly, that's the only thing they can do with either or. Because, I mean, let's face it. I mean, Braun Strowman is just big. He's not really athletic. He doesn't move too well. His moves are, meh. I mean, he's just big. So you, so in order to make him look strong, you bring in local talent. <laughs> now, Jax, I mean, I feel... I mean, I feel I feel as though that she is a little bit more of a better wrestler than Braun. But having her going against local talent, even though the chick that she went against was Jafet, I'm not going to lie. She was Jafet. But at this point, like, there's a reason why you brought her up from NXT. Instead of having her beat up nobody's, having her go against your women's division. Let her run through that. I mean, don't slowly build it up. I mean, there's a reason why you did it. Have her go against the likes of whoever you have on Raw. That's not Charlotte or Sasha Banks yet. But have the local talent thing, I mean, it's we've seen it too many times, especially on Saturday morning superstars. That's all that was. You see guys like Vader going against some guy named John Doe. <laughs> you will barely see a match with the main eventer versus the mid-carder. I mean, you had your mid-card matches and you had your main eventer slash upper mid-carders versus local unknown talent. I don't want to see that again. <laughs> Hell, you saw it in, you almost saw it in W. Well, not, you can't even say that. Because, I mean, Goldberg started from the bottom and went through went through everything in the site in five minutes or less. Right. Right. And uh let's make one final note on the on this week. What about the uh the confrontation well two two final points. One the confrontation between Seth Rollins and Finn Balor. What did you think about that? Honestly it was needed for TV. It was needed for TV. This match is one of is going to be one of those matches that could 
that can really set the bar for this new era. This is that match that can do that for the WWE. You have two great ring technicians facing each other in a WWE ring for the first time ever. Notice how I said a WWE ring. <laughs> they faced each other before, but this time it's on the main stage. SummerSlam will be a perfect stage for this match. Uh, we actually do have a caller on too. All right. Six nine five two. Welcome to the Skybox. Hello. I think I think he's just listening. I know who it is because he actually just sent me a text message. So I think he's just listening. Uh, but All right. he sent me a text message. He sent me a text message saying that they're grooming. Groom, he thinks that they're grooming Braun Strowman to be the next big show. Uh, uh, maybe, maybe. Uh, but I don't. I don't remember Big Show actually going through a bunch of nobodies though. I mean, if you, I mean, there's one thing. I mean, I look at Big Show. I mean, people say, okay, he's slow. He's not blah blah blah. But Big Show moves real for a guy his size. For a guy who has giantism, I mean, he moves well for a guy his size. He can actually lift his legs up. He can somewhat he can move move around in the ring for a guy his size. I mean, I look at Braun Strowman. I mean, I don't see that. I just see a big dude with nothing to really offer but size. You also got to think about something. The Big Show came from WCW when WCW was still competing in the ratings war uh, in 1999. And in WCW, he was a former world champion. Uh, and when he came into WWE, uh, yeah, he faced uh, some some good talent when he came in, and he hardly ever faced, like, jobbers. So yeah, exactly. you know, he came in, he came right in off the gate going against top guys. I mean, he had a feud with, uh, with Stone Cold. Uh, he had a feud with Mankind. Uh, then he had a feud, yeah, you know, he had later on, he had a Undertaker. Shane, Stone Cold, uh, The Rock. I mean, he had a lot of memorable, memorable feuds, especially a feud with Triple H over the, uh, WWF championship. Uh, which was exactly. memorable after he won the WWE Championship months after he had debuted uh, November 99 of Survivor Series. Uh, he had a nice run with that, and he actually had, um, you know, he had some pretty good runs. I mean, maybe if Braun Strowman does improve a little bit more in his in-ring work to be able to work against some more named uh, talent, maybe, just maybe, he could be another... Intimidated big man that can compete for a title, maybe a mid card title or something like that. But you know, right now I think that what they're doing with them is actually the right thing to do because then you can, you know, you don't run the risk of him being sloppy in the ring with a with an actual with a well known talent and possibly getting hurt. Uh, 
or anything like that. They want to, you know. So I think they're doing right with what they're doing with him now. I mean, I wouldn't put him on Raw to do that, though. I mean, I'm sorry. I'm not tuning in Raw to see this big Bama face a no-name talent. I mean, that's either a smoke or a shit break. Yeah, 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 true. One last thing. You talked about it earlier. The RKO out of nowhere, her around the world. Like, what was your what was your reaction to that? Like, that just happened. And then the uh, the, the repercussion okay. that he faced the next night. Oh, yeah. we. I mean, well, the repercussion was predictable. But the RKO out of nowhere. Honestly, I saw it coming. But I, I thought they had to wait until the Raw before SummerSlam for it to happen. But I give them credit, though. I guess they said, you know, F that. Let's, get, let's go ahead and kick this off now. But that RKO, though, man, I mean, that stole the show. That stole the entire show for Monday Night Raw. I mean, I mean, no one really saw it coming. I kind of felt it coming, but I was like, I was 100% sure. But, I mean, that RKO, like, I mean, during, in the, during the promo. And there's a video I mean, that's out there. On the, there's a video out there on the Internet now that, sh- that a fan took. Wharton was hiding under the ring, came out from under the ring to, to deliver the RKO. So that was one of those, really, it was out of nowhere. Like, he didn't come through the crowd, jump the barricade, and catch him. He came from under the ring. Slid under the ra- slid under the rope and boom, it was done. I mean that was just brilliant. I mean it was honestly it was the best way to do it. Yeah, it was I mean great. it it was just great. Uh, the, now the following night we saw we saw Orton get F five. We knew it was coming, but I mean, it was still great to see it. Because honestly, we know uh, Paul Heyman is pretty much going to do Brock's talking before him. But to see these two actually go at each other, trade blow for blow, finisher for finisher, is is pretty much doing the talking for them in this promo in this promo series up until their match. It's hyping their, It's hyping the match up more than the match itself. I mean, the names alone hypes this match up. But seeing Orton RKO Brock and seeing Brock pretty much pick up Orton in F5 like he was a kid, I mean, it's already, it's building this match up itself. The match is already built up, but it's building up more. It's selling your crowd even more than what it's already sold on. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. All right. I'm looking forward to these these next two weeks of, of shows leading up to the biggest party of the summer, SummerSlam, taking place at the Barclays Center in Brooklyn, New York. That's going to be awesome. Uh, I can't wait. But there's there's something I wanted to talk. I wanted your opinion about an article that I read earlier today that I was asked about earlier today and so I want to ask you about this 
Uh, so, shoot. former former Redskins general manager and former Houston, Texas general manager Charlie Castley was on the Sports Junkies recently to talk about the uh, NFC East and most notably the Washington Redskins. And during that interview, he made he was asked to rank the four quarterback, four starting quarterbacks for the NFC East. Sam Bradford of the Eagles, Eli Manning of the Giants, Tony Romo of the Cowboys, and of course, uh, Captain Kirk, her cousins of the Redskins. And Mr. Cassidy said out of his own mouth that he would rank Kirk Cousins number four out of the four quarterbacks in the NFC East. Now, Here's how. Here's what he said. He said, "Quote: Well, if Romo's healthy, he he's four, meaning Kirk Cousins. He said that those three guys are pretty darn good now. The way they play, Eli has thrown something like 66 touchdown passes in two years, and you've got to look at who they're who they're playing. He would say the Giants had one receiver last year, Odell Beckham, and then Shane Marine out of the backfield. The Cowboys really have one receiver, Jason Witten." Uh, who can't beat anybody in coverage but knows how to sit down in zones. And then you got Jez Bryant. Philly has no outside speed receivers, only scrolls out of the backfield. Switch it around and give Manny Roma and Bradford the Redskins receivers and then give the Redskins one receiver. So you've got, you've got to look at that point there. So, Chill, do you agree with Charlie Casserly that Kirk Cousins – is the worst quarterback out of the four in the NFC and why or why not okay I'm gonna I'm gonna say this as a fan of football and that is a fan of the Washington Redskins no I can't do it I will not say that Kirk Cousins is the worst quarterback in the NFC East first of all what has Sam Bradford ever done? I mean, you can make the make the excuses that he hasn't had talent around him. But at the same time, what has he done? He's a guy who played who's been pretty much injury prone his entire career. Even healthy, he hasn't really shown anything worthy of being a first overall pick. Then to top it off, he comes to the Philadelphia Eagles. He was brought here by Chip Kelly. Where he had the Chip Kelly offense. Where he had a receiver like, well, hold on, I'm not, I'm not going to break that down. Because this shit's Kelly's fault that Sam Bradford didn't have a Deshaun Jackson, that he didn't have a Jeremy Macklin, that he didn't have a Lashawn McCoy. Fuck that. I'm not going to break that down. Sam Bradford's situation, overall, Sam Bradford has never been that great of a quarterback. He could have had those weapons, but they was traded or released. Fuck that. That's not Kirk Cousins' problem. Now, Tony Romo. Here's a quarterback who, I'm not going to lie, 
who's had some great regular season stats. He still throws a shitload of interceptions, but he has a great he has great regular season stats. He's had Des Bryant. He's had a Terrell Owens. He's had Jason Witten for the entire for his entire career. The one year they go four and well, twelve and four, they had a great run game, and still couldn't win in the playoffs. Then you have Eli. Regular season, he's fifty fifty. Postseason, oh, Eli's Peyton Manning. I'll give Eli his due as a postseason quarterback. But as a regular season QB, no. I cannot say that Kirk Cousins is the worst quarterback in this division. He took his team to a division title as in his first year as a starter. Won a division title. Eli didn't do that. Sam Bradford has yet been to the playoffs. Romo. First half, well, first half season as a starter, he did get to the playoffs, where he botched, well, he fumbled the the snap on the field goal against the Seahawks. But Romo only has two playoff wins and two five game interceptions on Monday Night Football. Eli has two rings, but what has he done overall? I mean, Eli has, what, three, four playoff trips? I mean, that's not really saying much. Only thing that validates Eli is his two Super Bowl rings. So, right now, I'm looking at Kirk Cousins. I will put him out of two or three, just because he has the, he doesn't have the most, he has the lowest overall body of work. I'll put him out. Matter of fact, I'll put him at three just to be fair because at the end of the day, Romo and Eli have more body of work because they've been in the league longer than Kirk Cousins does. Sam Bradford doesn't have more body of work than Kirk Cousins. Now, for Charlie to say that, well, give, give any of these three quarterbacks the receiving core that the Skins have. Last year, Cousins didn't have a run game. Did he forget about that? Did he also forget that he didn't have Jordan Reed for the entire season? Did he also forget that at one point, Kirk Cousins had more interceptions than touchdowns? Did he also forget that he didn't have Deshaun Jackson for the entire season? I mean, who was, who was Jamison Crowder? Before last year, a rookie that no one really paid attention to. So it's funny how they mention the the weapons that he has, but you, I mean, the weapons that he have this year are different from the ones he had last year. You cannot really go in or say, oh well, if such and such quarterback had these weapons, because at one point Bradford could have had those weapons. Blame Chip Kelly for that. Romo. Had those weapons. 
didn't do nothing with it. Eli had those had weapons. I mean, yes, Victor Cruz went down, but you still got Odell Beckham. They still got Larry Larry Terrell, Larry David, Larry Darnell, whatever. So to say that they would flourish better with the weapons Kirk Cousins has is nonsense. Well, I break it down like this. <clears throat> Tony Romo is one big hit away, especially either on his back or breaking collarbone again from being done. His career be over. So I, I would put him at the bottom. Now, granted, he's had a very nice body of work, but he's, like I say, he's one – He's one big hit to his back or one more broken collarbone away from his, his career being done. So he's number four. Bradford would be number three. Only reason why I would rank him above Romo is because of the fact that even though Bradford has had has really done hasn't really done much, last season, late in the season, he actually showed flashes of brilliance. Not much, but something. He showed flashes of brilliance. But this year he's got Chase Daniels breathing down his neck in a system that Chase Daniels knows from being with Doug Peterson in Kansas City. And then you have then they went and drafted a quarterback with the number two overall pick. Now, granted, the number two overall pick may not even suit up for the first game of the season, but that kid's still there. Exactly. You can't ignore him. Now, and I, yeah, I didn't even now, want to bring up that point. <laughs> yeah, but now... Now, Eli, yes, he's thrown 66 touchdown passes in the last two seasons. And he'll have a healthy Victor Cruz back along with Odell Beckham Jr. So he has a dual threat on the outside. And um, just he's just got to get a running game to keep them from being one-dimensional. But they're starting over because they have a new head coach. So they got a new system. They got Well, they got something on a new system. So they got to start over. Kirk Cousins had... Out of all three, out of the other three quarterbacks, he had the best quarterback rating, the best completion percentage, and he had an amazing second half of the season to lead this team who was left for dead in the NFC East to win the division and go to the playoffs. And now he's lost Alfred Morris in the backfield, though now he has Matt Jones uh, back there. Uh, though Chris Thompson has been a, a, been a, a star in the uh, in training camp so far, he has wep- he has so many weapons uh, at receivers with Pierre Garcon and D-Jack. Uh Jamison Crowder came on came on strong last season, uh, coming out of Duke, and he and he can only get better. Uh, Jordan Reed, uh, if he can stay healthy, he's one of the best pass catching tight ends in the league, bar none. And plenty of analysts have said that. He's the best pass catcher tight end in the league. Uh, and then you bring back Niles Paul, and you got a dual uh, dual tight end threat. Uh, you bring in Vernon Davis for that veteran experience as well. And, I mean, weapons-wise, Kirk Cousins has everything he needs to be successful. So I would rank, and this is not any bias or anything like that, and I've said this, this is not bias. This is football fact. Kirk Cousins, even though his body of work is not as extensive as the other three quarterbacks in the, in the division, 
his numbers speak volumes. And I mean, it makes yeah, they do. At the top, in terms of uh, the quarterbacks in the NFC East, like I said, if I had to pick, I would slightly give the nod to Eli because of the fact he has thrown 66 touchdowns in the last two years and he has two rings. So I would say Eli is the best quarterback in the NFC East right now. But Kirk Cousins can go if Kirk Cousins can go out here for another full 16 and lead this team to the playoffs and have a uh, have the same great uh, completion percentage that he had last season, um, and especially with this receiving core, I think he will overtake Eli and be the best quarterback in the NFC East. I mean, it's possible right now because I mean, you look at it. Kirk Cousins has the most upside out of the other out of all four quarterbacks. I mean, we know Sam Bradford isn't consistent, even when healthy. That's a given fact. We know Romo is one good hit away from retiring. And Eli is now what, thirty five? I mean, he Still will have age. his weapons back. He's getting up there in age. I mean, he will have his weapons back. I'll give him that. But as many touchdowns as Eli has thrown, he still throws a lot of interceptions. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Plus, I yeah, mean, so. Eli is in a new offense. So, yeah. But right now, I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll put Kurt due to his lack of body work. I'm not, I'm not going to put him out there yet. As the best QB, even though I have faith in him, I'll give Eli the advantage because because overall he does have he does have a better resume. But Kirk Cousins should not be should not be looked down on because I mean think about it, look what this guy did his first full season as a starter. I mean, don't matter how much you try to break it down or try to show favoritism or deny what he did, numbers don't lie. Real quick, you just you just actually posted this in our CSOCS uh, Presents the Skybox uh, breaking news. Navarro Bowman has a, con- a new contract. He has a contract extension that has been signed um, just today, just a little while ago, uh, he has just signed a, a new deal that has added four more years to his current contract, which had three years remaining on it. Uh, the, total, the deal is worth $77 million over seven years, and it includes $20 million uh, in guaranteed money. This is all being reported by ESPN's uh, Adam Schefter. Uh, this is after a huge, successful comeback season that he had uh, just last season. So the 49ers have locked up their uh, star linebacker, Navarro Bowman, for an additional four years on top of the three he already had. So anybody who's got face the 49ers has got to look out for number 53 for the next seven years. So congratulations I just want to, to say one thing. I just want to say one thing about that. Suitland. Yes, indeed. Shout out to my shout out, shout out to my former Suitland Ram, Navarro Bowman. Yeah, Navarro Bowman. 
Bob Bowman, Sula High School alum, getting that big payday, big, big payday. Uh, real quick, one last thing about the Redskins. Are you concerned with Josh Dotson? He's, he was, uh, he's going to be out for the next two weeks in training camp due to an injured Achilles that he suffered during OTAs. Uh, he's at a walking boot, and he's, on the, he's actually on the publish right now. Are you concerned uh, with Josh Dotson going into the season? Uh, not really, not really so much because uh, I mean, right now he's in a boot. I mean, he'll be okay. I think he'll be okay because right now our receiver core is still solid. So even without him, we should be we should be okay. Plus, I think our run game is going to flourish. Uh, it'll be Matt Jones' second year behind this Bill Callahan run scheme, so that should be interesting. Another note I want to uh, – I actually want to bring up since we're still on football. It was released earlier today that Dallas Cowboys, the Dallas Cowboys running back, Zehu Elliott, suffered a hamstring injury in training camp. They said it was a tweak, but he's still scheduled to miss some time. Doing a, miss some time. Going back to uh, Romo now. <clears throat> They lost. They pretty much lost their playmakers on their defensive side. Now they don't. They possibly will go at least the first first four games without Ezekiel Elliott. Are the Cowboys in any type of shape to be a contender? It depends on the health of Des Bryant. Uh, Des Bryant, you know, coming off uh, various injuries from last season, he's kind of, you know, making his comeback and everything like that. So I think it really relies on his on his health. If he is healthy, they have a slight chance. If he's not healthy, if he's not healthy, they don't really have a chance. Of, you know, they really don't have much of a chance. Okay, Here, here's my point. Here, here's my thoughts on this. Okay, Nozick, you Elliott to start your season off. You don't have a backup quarterback. What else? On the defensive side, you won't have Rondo McClain. You won't have Demarcus Lawrence. You won't have, have Randy Gregory. Right now, I'm looking at this Dallas Cowboys team, and honestly, even with a healthy and effective Dez, they don't have enough to cover up where they're lacking. Because honestly, even behind that offensive line. Oh, and I forgot, Dermot Fagan is also out. So, even behind that line, no, because their defense was suspect even with McLean and all the others. Now, with them gone, it's just going to be a it's going to be a complete joke, which has been for the past few seasons. On the offensive side, they're going to have to be able to run the ball, and I don't honestly, I don't see Alvin Morris being that every down back that he was with the Redskins. 
even with the offensive line. Honestly, I don't think the Cowboys just have. I don't think they have enough. I mean, Romo can't carry a team. Daz, he can put out. He can put on numbers. He can put out career numbers, but it still won't be enough to save this team. It's too many pieces that aren't there that won't be there. For them to actually be a contender. Plus, you still have to look at if Romo gets hurt again. So, no. No. There you go. I just don't see it. I mean, let's be real. I mean, a lot of people... Clown me because I said last year Alpha Morris was on a decline, which I saw. I mean, if you look at his numbers, I mean, his numbers have digressed over the past few seasons. <laughs> I mean, his career best was because he had a healthy RG. Following season, got the, what, 13? The season after that, barely broke a 1,000. Then this past year, he, he was about 700-something. I can't really call that a decline. That was mostly because he was in a new run scheme. But I don't think Alpha Wars at 28 can be that running back that can take the pressure off of Tony Romo, especially for the fact that Morris isn't great catching out of the backfield nor picking up blocks. So the Dallas Cowboys are are fucking doomed. I don't know what the hell their fans are smoking, thinking that they're going to be that team that they were two years ago, but they're nowhere near it. Well, I mean, only thing, only thing that ma- only thing you got to do is just play the games. True, but yeah, just don't see it. All right. Uh, well, we're actually out of time now. Uh, any final thoughts? Yep. Charlie Cassidy, you were wrong, and you're going to be proven wrong this season. Okay, I'm done. Uh, let's see. Charlie Cassidy, of course, you're, you're wrong as always. Uh, what's that Baba name? I can't think of his name. Who said the race was going to finish 79? Oh, Colin Coward. Cowherd, Cowter. You are the most annoying analyst slash radio talk show host that ESPN has ever hired. Your lack of sports knowledge blows my life because it's the most inaccurate shit I've ever heard in life. Whoever you sucked off and continue to to be sucking off to get and keep your job should needs to resign. You can say seven and nine, but you can't back it up. 
This is a man who desperately loves Tom Brady and has admitted that Tom Brady is his man crush. Maybe if Tom Terrific was a Redskins quarterback. You know what? I'm not even going to go there. Just get off Tom Brady's nets. And we're done for tonight. <laughs> that's, not, that's, that's not his man crush Monday. That's his man crush every day. Okay. Every day. It's been his man crush every day since 2000. We're done. We can throw more shade at the Cowboys next week. (laughs) (laughs) All right, folks, this has been real. But we have have to go. We're past time now. Uh, You can check us out again next week. Next week. And every Thursday, every Wednesday night at TMP, uh, 10 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, 9 p.m. Central Standard Time. You can also uh, tune into all Two Sides of the Story shows at www.tsotsproductions.com. Go to our archives. Listen to all our old, all our past shows. You can do it all. We also have a Two Sides of the Story app available for Google Play and the iPhone. Go ahead and download that and keep up with everything that is Two Sides of the Story. Well, it's been it's been real, dog. It's been real, y'all. This is your boy Chills. I am signing off. This is DC People Chef. Talk to y'all tomorrow. My check. Bye bye. Allah.